Welcome to ISKCON of Silicon Valley. It's a pleasure to have everyone here today, and thank you for joining us online from various places around the world. Our broadcast team works around the clock to make sure that you get the clearest sound and picture and the best angles. We'd like to thank them very much. Headed by Ramananda Saka Prabhu. The founder and Acharya, Acharya means one who teaches by example, of ISKCON is His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who's seated on this ornate seat called the Vyasasana, the seat of Vyasadev, who's the compiler of the ancient Vedic wisdom, put it together with the intention that it would be disseminated all over the world and people would be able to upgrade their lives, especially humans, and be able to attain the perfection of life, which is called Krishna consciousness. We're conscious beings, but our original consciousness is Krishna consciousness because we're a part and parcel of the Supreme, whose name is Krishna, means all attractive. He has millions of names. He's an unlimited person and who's the source of everyone and all of us. So there's a practice or a sadhana through which one becomes Krishna conscious, which is the goal or the sadhya. And one of the main practices is through hearing transcendental sound. Transmission of sound is not just informative, but also purifying. We can understand what's going on in another city, for instance, by hearing from someone who's there, an eyewitness. And there's the added feature of sound that comes or is passed down from spiritual realms, that it informs us of the nature of those realms, and that's what impels us to go anywhere, is to hear about it first. But also, the nature of that sound is that it purifies us by giving us a higher taste. It's also described, Hunoti Salilam Krishna, that the transcendental sound vibration has a very specific way in which it erases the impressions, material impressions that we have that keeps attached to the lower energy of matter. So. The, the main practice that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, 500 years ago, the avatar of Krishna, who most recently appeared in the world, taught uh, <clears throat> universally, was the chanting of God's names. And just by repeating the names of God, one would feel this purification and also would develop a desire to go to the spiritual world which is not an ordinary desire. Most people desire to stay here in the material world and try to make it work. The Bhagavad Gita, which is a book spoken by Krishna to his friend Arjuna, informs us, or Krishna informs us in the Bhagavad Gita, that we, we will never make 
a permanent settlement in the material world, nor will we ever feel completely comfortable here because we're categorically incompatible with the material world. So we can have the sense of a push-pull attraction for higher ground, the spiritual world, and also a pessimism, if you will, for the material world in that it'll never quite work out here in this world. So we'll try this chanting and see how it goes. There's a special mantra, Hare Krishna. It goes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And today's chanting is brought to you by Crystal Geyser. <laughs> Whenever I get thirsty before a kirtan, I always drink Crystal Geyser. I think this little gong or this little cowbell was pretty loud yesterday. Was it loud when I played it for the Jamulus? Bing, bing, bing? No? Okay. This is a very special cowbell. It was given to me by Gopal, a great kirtaniya. And it has two ecstatic sounds. which we'll add into the kirtan today. And today, because we're just getting started, we need something to lift us up a little bit. So we're going to start with a very happy tune that's in the special raga, which is meant to lift our spirits. If you add that and the holy names together, you have a kind of elixir. You know what an elixir is? We're about to have an elixir. People look for it. They go to Whole Foods, look on the vitamin shelf. They're always looking online to see what's the latest thing. Everyone eats superfoods, at least I do. I always hope there's some kind of shortcut to immortality, or at least to stave off the inevitable. But there is really an elixir. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, if you sing the holy names of the Lord, especially with a wide open heart, then you'll experience what's called amrita, or deathlessness. There'll be kind of a, a chill that goes up your spine and a throbbing of the heart. Pulaka sharira, sometimes tears come to the eyes. What's the word elixir mean? We need a bucket full of Microphones, please. Also, are you set? Yes. Um, is it elixir spelled as A-L-I-E-L? E-L-I-X. Elixir. I was probably pronouncing it elixir, but it's elixir. Okay. Elixir is a noun, and it means a magical or medicinal potion. Yes. In Sanskrit, it's also called chikitsitam, which means a kind of uh, process that clears the consciousness. Chit, chikitsitam. Your consciousness becomes clean.
First off, for my respectful obeisances to my spiritual masters, Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and to all of you who are Vaishnavas and are very dear to Lord Krishna. Hare Krishna. So the first goal of the yoga process is to control the mind. And it is a fighting process, like boxing. You ever have to step in the ring, you want to be prepared. Not that I know a lot about that. I mean, I've watched boxing matches, and I know the ethos of those who practice uh, martial arts and fighting and so forth. And there's a strategy. And also, one has to know that the mind is a formidable opponent when it is in an untamed state. It can come from any side and is very artful at dissuading us from leaving the material world, or for that matter, keeping a steady practice in any discipline, what to speak of in Krishna consciousness. So what's the solution? One has to have a good strategy. So there are some tips in the Bhagavad Gita that are very practical that can help us to box with the mind and make it our friend. I don't know if those two are mutually exclusive. Do boxing opponents end up as friends, usually? Any boxers in here? Oh, yeah? <laughs> he quit, okay. Okay, so uh, a, f a few uh, existential points that Krishna gives in the Bhagavad Gita. In the 13th chapter of the Gita, Krishna explains that the whole material world and all the forms that we see, take a moment to inventory what you see, including your body, start from an amorphous substance of energy, which then gets divided into various parts. Well, you're not part of that energy. The mind also is part of that original material energy, and you're not the mind either. We're a different energy altogether than the mind. So this is important to know that we're not the mind because oftentimes when I am swept away by the mind, I feel as if I'm overcome by the various circumstances of my life. But actually what's happening is I'm identifying myself with the mind as it plays a movie of various experiences that I've had in the past. And it's forecasting based on that what might happen in the future. A good example of this is artificial intelligence, which of course tries to mimic the mind and other aspects of the human brain. And you may notice that whatever you do on the internet or anywhere else that's connected to the internet follows you around then for the rest of your life. Did you know that? In fact, uh, the AI brain knows more about us than we know about us because we're not really paying that much attention. We just do whatever we want to do impulsively and then the AI brain figures out that as a composite that this is what you're like. This is what you like and this is what you don't like. And it keeps putting it in front of our face as if you go to any mix anywhere, like on YouTube, it'll, it'll present to you like, this is what you like. I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. And then you listen to it more and it's like, people say, yeah, you listen to that a lot. It's like, I, 
you like that, right? I, I, yeah, I guess I really like it. And then the mind becomes more inclined towards it because whatever we hear. And in this way, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Purusha prakriti stohi punte prakriti jangunan karanam gunasangosya sarasad yonishu janma yonishu that there's a, a way in which because of my previous experiences and associations that I develop a conglomeration in my mind of various impressions and those get presented to me on the screen of my mind over and over again. So if I just am lazy and non-yogic life means to be lazy. You just sit there like a what do they call it? A couch potato? <laughs> you sit like a couch potato and you just look at your mind and just get carried away by the various scenes that it shows you. Not you, because you guys don't do that, but one who might be afflicted by this dread disease, avidya, ignorance. And... Therefore, there are predictable projections that the mind will bring up. In fact, the Bhagavatam says that fear is one of the emotions that arises. We meant to do that. They're, they're creating sound effects back there just for the... And there's a way that uh, we become affected by listening to, to the various suggestions of the mind or watching the scenes that it, that it projects. And one of the ways uh, that, that we might do that is we'll look at what's happening now and then project that this is what will, might happen in the f future. This is known as worry. And I worry and I project that these are various scenarios that might happen. I may be sitting in a pristine environment like a beautiful field with clover and there are bees aimlessly wandering everywhere, and birds, but in my mind I'm thinking, this could all be burnt up within a few days, and I'll be homeless, and how, how will I find a glass of water to drink? That there, there are many ways in which I'll, I'll project and become fearful of what might happen in the future. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna recommends that one become dhira, or tolerant of the, the changes of the mind and not become overwhelmed by, by the projections and not identify with them. So a mantra that I learned a long time ago or an affirmation that I found to be helpful in dealing with the mind and bringing myself to equanimity in those times when the mind makes suggestions that are unsavory or even that are overly optimistic and that is, things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem. Would you like to say it? Things yeah, things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem because the, the mind tends to augment uh, the situation. And uh, have you ever heard this, this statement, it is what it is? Do you ever use that one? I find that helpful also. So what just happened? It is what it is. And basically, that's the summary of what happens to us in the material world. It is what it is. Because partly it's inexplicable, the things that happen to us. We know philosophically that 
various things come to us and go away from us based on the time factor, which eventually unv unravels everything, all our plans and whatever we are trying to hold on to. It also brings us unexpectedly gains that, that um, make us feel suddenly rich. Uh, so Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says, uh, don't be overwhelmed on either side. Uh, when there's gain or when there's loss or when there's victory or defeat, the bhakti yogi, that's all of you, should just remain even because it is what it is. And in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Sri Narada Muni says, Tasyaiva heto prayate te covido, nalabhyate yad brahmatam upariyada, talabhyate dukha varanyata sukham, kalena sarvatra gabira ramhasa. He says that, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Things come in due course of time that uh, you weren't expecting, either good or bad. But uh, it's uh, a product of uh, previous momentum, so don't become overly disturbed by it. Stay uh, even in those circumstances. Well, I say, well, that might be hard to do. So start by increments. So one of the ways in which we augment the situations that are going on in our minds is to uh, say anything that comes to our mind. So as I've said here before, try to uh, filter out and from the mind and present only the most important things or useful things in what you say. And therefore, uh, the way I think about it is say 33% less every day. Uh, what's in your mind? Do you have things that come into your mind during the day that you might bring out and say? And are all of them necessary? Well, try saying 33% less. And then the next is that wait 33% longer before you react to anything. So, <laughs> did you laugh? That's good. Please give the microphone to Ramana Nasaka. This is a rare opportunity to hear what, he was, what it was on his mind when he laughed. There. Mark, Ramananda, you got to turn on your own mic now. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing on my mind. Okay. I was just laughing because you were saying wait 33% longer before you say something. Okay. That reminds me of like something Spock would say. All right. So 33% um, don't uh, wait 33% longer to react. So if something happens, you would just, uh, it's like, okay, 33%, then I can react. And then also tolerate the inevitable discomfort that you might feel. Does anybody ever come across discomfort? One, two, three, four. I'm counting, the, I'm not counting the ones with the hands up, I'm counting the ones with the hands down, because I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna come move in with you <laughs> and see how you do it. No matter where you go, it seems to follow somewhere, didn't fit, something broke right at the wrong time, the, you're ready to push the link and then the screen goes off, whatever it is, there's always something. So wait uh, 33%. Uh, tolerate for 33% longer. 
when something happens. It's nearly the same as the other one, but just think of it in terms of wait a little bit longer to become impatient. Just be patient a little longer. So these are qualities that are recommended, not just by Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita. Be patient, be tolerant. See that things always even out in this world. Krishna is the perfect moral agent. He's always acting for our welfare and everything that he does. And if we can keep that mentality and understand that, that he's our well-wisher, whatever's happening, especially because I've made a declarative statement somewhere and sometime in my life, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometime, somewhere, you stopped and very intentionally cried out to Krishna and said, Krishna, I'm yours. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender to you. Confirmed? If not, you can raise your hand now and still sign up for it. I surrender to Krishna. Krishna, whatever you want, I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, surrender to you and follow your path. Yes or yes? Thank you. That's when you raise your hand fast on because you get counted. So anytime that ha you do that, then Krishna says, okay, this person's in. And Prabhupada writes in the preface to the Upadesha Amrita that after that, even if you change your mind, it's too late because Krishna will drag you. Jai. Who said Jai? Very good. Keep it up. Okay, so the mind is a medium through which we view the world. So the condition of our mind determines how we're doing in life. And uh, another practice that helps to still the mind is to uh, make a clear list of uh, priorities because the mind is constantly uh, picking and choosing based on what I mentioned before, various influences. So if you take time to prioritize your life by, for instance, and especially, writing down what your priorities are, then this is a time in which, or take the time in which, you're fully absorbed in your intelligence. And you're very deliberately uh, deciding as the adult in the room, the mind is like a little child when it's conditioned, what's best for us as a family, talking to all the parts of your body. And say, this is what our main priorities are. And then when the mind is attracted to various options and gets confused or bewildered or depressed, then you can call upon that time in which you are very deliberate in deciding what your priorities are. And you can say, ask yourself this question, uh, what's my purpose? You just ask the question now. So today, uh, I've been especially busy because, and that's nothing to do, I shouldn't even say it because you're way busier than I am, but because we're leaving on a trip on Wednesday and we're doing multiple seminars along the way and there's a crunch time for getting everything ready plus everything else all together. And so I was walking out of my kutir, walking up to lunch, which is a happy time normally, but my mind was so absorbed in the first steps out, I had to stop and ask myself, what's my purpose? And then I reconfirmed that my purpose is to serve my spiritual master. And as soon as I remembered that, then I felt, hey, it's all worth it. All this 
pushing and uh, being fully absorbed and whatever austerity it takes is, is worth it because that's what my purpose is. I already decided that. And so this can be very helpful to actually decide and write down what your purpose is and keep coming back to it. And in times when the mind perhaps wants to suggest, no, actually, my purpose is to be comfortable and just uh, do whatever I want. Of course, there's a time for that, to, to, to relax and recreate oneself. But still, there has to be this overarching sense of purpose that I'm going somewhere. I, I live for this. You have to live for something. And if I take it a step further, I don't mean to alarm anybody. I know this is a family show. But should be ready to die for something, too. And you'll find that people who are ready to die for a particular cause, like the early Christians, they couldn't be defeated by the powerful Roman Empire because they were willing to give up their lives for their cause. They were tortured, actually, because they were following Jesus, his teachings, and so forth, and they banded together. Roman government didn't like it at all until they changed their minds and became Christians themselves. But at the early stage of the movement, Christians had to stand up for their faith or die or recapitulate. And it's not like they could run away because the Romans would track them down. They were expert at that. And so many of them were threatened to be fed to lions. That's no joke. But they said, okay, my faith is more uh, invested. I believe in that so strongly. If that's the way it is, I'm not going to capitulate and I'll be fed to the lions. And if you're ready to die for something, then you're invincible, actually. How strong must your purpose be for your mind to be strong? Well, the stronger, the better. So there is an ultimate purpose to life, which is, as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, prema pramarto mahan, to worship Krishna and chant Hare Krishna and develop love for Krishna. So if we're really clear on that and we have a strong purpose, then the mind will be overcome. We can overcome our mind by remembering our purpose. Okay, I have a few more before some reflections. Uh, yeah, just uh, learn to be grateful even for reversals or bad situations in life. That sounds like a hard thing to do, but we keep it as an ideal. And one of the ways to do that when a reversal comes rather than trying to granularly repair the situation is to ask, uh, what am I meant to learn from this? What's the lesson that I'm going to get from this particular situation? Because the universe is a classroom. And ultimately, it's meant to teach us to be pure devotees. And if we understand that, and that's how, as remember, we started with that purpose, then whenever reversals come, I can ask myself the question, what's the lesson? How will this shape me to be closer to what Krishna appreciates, the qualities that appreciate? How will it help me to develop the qualities that Krishna particularly appreciates? Okay, I have more practical things. Hold on. There's a lot in here. Yeah, just uh, don't box yourself in. I thought of this one a while back in studying 
Chinese kanjis, which are part of the Japanese language. And there is one, komaru, which means to be troubled. And it's a pictograph. You know, do you all know a little bit about Chinese? Anybody? It's not close to Telugu. So, uh, <laughs> so the, in the Chinese language, there's little pic pictures, actually. And there are radicals, like you'll see things that are like little drops. That uh, indicates there's something to do with this picture. It has to do with water. Sometimes there's a picture of a tree. And it's like, okay, tree means life. There's something like that. And then now the, the verb for uh, to be troubled is komaru, and there's a box with a tree inside. What's wrong with that picture? A uh, box, a closed box. Does that make it more clear? Tree can't get out. You're boxed in. That's kind of troublesome. What? Tree can't go out. Can't. So that's troublesome situation. So we can also box ourselves in. So there are ways to come out of the box. Uh, and you know, we're spirits, spirit souls. We want to be free to do anything, fly anywhere. But we're inside the box of this body. So, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught that the the most efficient way to uh, come out of the confines of of the mind is to. Uh, <clears throat> Repeat the transcendental vibration. He said, Nam nam akari bahuda nija sarva shaktis tatrarpita ni mahitas marinayinakala itadrishi tavakripa bhagavan mama bi durdaivam idrishami hajani nanuragaha. First says that the, the vibration of the holy names, it has all spiritual power. And when you uh, repeat those holy names, then you can be directly in touch with the all powerful all-purifying force of Krishna. And then he says, uh, if you feel uninspired to chant, you're held back from the process, then practice humility. So this is one of the practices to come out of the uh, regions of boredom and anxiety, uh, which confine us and uh, prevent us from actually freely engaging in what makes us happy, which is pure devotional service. So the first practice he recommended in order for us to go on with the transcendental vibration is to uh, practice feeling humble. So there's a few elements to that. One is that one should be like a tree. And the tree is a servant. It offers itself in the form of fruit and shade and even wood after it's dead, or even when it's alive sometimes, to others. And Lord Chaitanya said, be tolerant like that. And then he said that you should be ready to respect all others, but don't expect anything in return. So this is a lifelong practice. And he said, if you're able to practice these tenets of humility, and service, and also humility means don't expect respect, but give respect to others. He said, then you'll be in a position to continuously uh, chant Hare Krishna. And 
when you're doing that, then there's this spiritual strength that starts to come into the heart where one's able to overcome the whimsy of the mind and actually follow Krishna's plan. And then Krishna says, Raga dvesha vimuktaistu vishayan indrayaischaran atma prasadam When you come to this point, when you're able to follow what he calls the regulative principles of freedom, then you get the grace of the Lord, the prasad. Because you, follow, you, you have the strength and you know it to follow the Lord's plan. So practicing the simple system that Chi Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave with these basic tenets, and there are a few other tips that I gave, is the way to success, but it has to be done consistently. And therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu recommended that we count how many times we chant every day. So that can be done by keeping track either on uh, some beads or if you get a little hand counter and it has a button on it. Do I have one in my pocket? I have one somewhere. I always keep a few around. And I'm going to look. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Feel keys. Here it is. I was in Japan and I was standing in front of a, a beautiful temple. We were fil- making a film there a few years ago. And uh, there was a young woman from. Uh, I think she was from China. She was a tourist. She was watching. And afterwards, she came over to ask us what we were doing. And I noticed she had one of these. They usually have a strap, but I always pull them off because I like just keep it in my hand. It's a little counter. She had one on her finger, and she was counting. And I asked her what she was counting. She said mantras, counting her mantras. And whenever I'm holding one of these, and people ask me what I'm counting, I always say I'm counting my blessings. How many you got there? Well, that's 17,025. That's a lot. Uh, So one way or another, if you count how many mantras you do every day and you make sure that you stay at a consistent number and don't go below that, then the power of the holy name will start to have its effect in our life. It it tends to uh, give us the kind of superpowers of being tolerant, the type of tolerance that I mentioned before, and also... It gives us a kind of spiritual intelligence that we normally don't get. Keep in mind that Krishna is within every atom. In the Sri Brahma Samhita, Brahma says, Ekopyaso Rachaditum Jagaranda Kotim, Yat Shakti Rasti Jagaranda Chayayaranda, Andantarasta Paramanu Chayantarastam, Govinda Madi Purusham Tamahambajami. That Krishna is there present within every atom. And of course, we know in the Gita, Krishna says, I'm there within the heart. So he's always with us. And when we chant Hare Krishna, then there's a way in which we become conscious of Krishna, and Krishna also responds to the fact that we're chanting, and he empowers us with this superpower to be patient and also to see the difference between ourselves and our minds. And then we're able to actually walk in the world without touching it and becoming overwhelmed by all the various complexities 
and difficult situations. In that case, the Bhagavatam, Sutta Goswami says, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Jane Yashuvayaragyam Jnanam Chayarahaitukam. When you do direct devotional service, and chanting Hare Krishna is definitely direct devotional service, then you get as concomitant assets knowledge and detachment from the world. And so then uh, one can see the world in a different way and come out of the box of, of the limitations of the mind. Uh, I also recommend start the, your day by saying a mantra. So the first thing I do is I have a discipline as soon as I uh, come to uh, awakened consciousness, even if I'm still lying down, which is usually the case. And the, the first thing I do is engage my tongue. I'll say first the pranam mantra of my guru, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale, Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namine, Namaste Sarfati Devi Gauravani Pracharini, Nirvishesha Srinivadi Paschatadisha. Then Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhara, Shivasari Gaur Bhakti Vrinda. Then Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I have one more mantra that I say, but I'll save that for later. And then uh, my friend Satyadev Prabhu, I noticed when we were traveling together, he has a particular um, system as soon as he gets up. First thing he does is he thanks his spiritual master. He says, thank you, Srila Prabhupada. And to remember the, and be grateful. It's really powerful when you first wake up. And then it's good to have uh, your basics written down or a very clear idea about the, the basic things that you're going to do in order to be successful in your day. And the first and most important is to complete the prescribed number of rounds that you have for yourself. Some people do one round a day, some do four, some do eight, some do 16, some do more than that. But if you keep a consistent and you carve out a time when everything else conforms around your mantra meditation, then your life will go in a very auspicious direction. Can, does anyone have seats? Welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Hare Krishna. So... <clears throat> That's the first step. And then it's helpful to uh, read something from the Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Sri Shapanishad, Nectar Devotion. One of the Shastras. Shastra means is a direction given by a higher authority that you can follow that will take us out of fear and to higher ground. So these are basics that are very important to do every day. And this is uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, some of his teachings about how to come out of the box of the mind or how to box with the mind and be a winner and come to the point of being a, actually a successful, victorious human being that you've risen above the dictates of the mind, which is, it's really rare, but it can be done by anyone who's sincere and just tries and incrementally tries to improve every day. That's another point I wrote here that I didn't mention. And I, I learned this from one of my teachers who said, always come back to your teacher and try to be a little bit better than you were the last time. And that works in life is try to 
figure out a few things to make better, or at least one thing to be better at by the next day or the next week. Always have something you're working at to improve yourself, especially refining yourself spiritually or your spiritual practice. That keeps the mind engaged in something positive. And then finally, not, it's not exhaustive list of all this, but finally for, for now, before we try chanting again, and that is that if you think of how to do good for others, the mind naturally becomes peaceful. When I think of how to do good for myself, I'm never happy because I can never get enough. And it always seems like as soon as I get what I want, then I get bored and I want something else or it wasn't enough. I notice that sometimes people who are humble and hungry, for instance, they're trying for uh, a, uh, some kind of athletic title. They're hung hungry and humble. And then let's say they win and they win big, and then they get millions of dollars in endorsements, and then they uh, get fat and unmotivated. What's the opposite of humble and hungry? They get, uh, yeah, arrogant, they feel entitled. And then they, uh, and then they also get fat, and they also f feel that, um, that you know, they're, they're in a plateau. So in devotional service, and in our practices, we should always try to be beginners. Stay humble and hungry, and don't get on that point of, like, I'm entitled, I've got enough now, try for more. That's really helpful also. I'll take a couple of reflections, and then we'll save more time for chanting. I'm looking up to the Zoom board in case anybody wants to say something there, too. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. On incremental, uh, incremental development, I have a small reflection. I was reading something to, today morning. and if We may just have to start over a little bit because the mask uh, and then also the On incremental, uh, not, uh, incremental development, I have small reflection. I was listening to something today morning, and uh, it says that a ship, if it changes its direction by one degree, it's instead of ending up going to one continent, it goes all the way to another continent. So that one degree of change can go a long way. Yeah, we know that because we took a direct flight to Delhi from here, and it was, it was only 15 hours. That's not so much. And then coming back from Delhi, they rerouted us because of the thing going on. And um, we had to take, by just small degrees, a little circumference around a certain country and we ended up 17 and a half hours just to Chicago. Just a slight off different course. So make, finding your course makes a difference and going off by a small degree, it can be, will be catastrophic. In fact, success means a few uh, good judgments enacted every day. And failure means a few bad judgments enacted every day, or even one because if we do it consistently over time, we may not see it right now, but the effect will be there later. Just like the difference between an apple a day is it keeps the... And then if you change it just a little bit and you say a Hershey's bar a day, Jim Rohn said, uh, Hershey's bar a day, then wrong one, then the dentist is here to stay. There's definitely a different effect. If you, try, if you try eating one Hershey bar a day, it's very different than eating an apple a day. And it's 
very different uh, watching television compared to Channing Japa. That's about the difference of a Hershey bar a day and an apple a day. So uh, just uh, make the right decisions and keep at them. One more reflection and then we'll chant. Yes, Pavani Bhakti. I really like the humble and be hungry part. And uh, so many examples of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's demonstrates how he has demonstrated humility. And uh, if we are empty, only then we can take it, no matter how much we grow. That Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used to, whenever anybody would praise him, he'd say, no, no, I learned this all from Sarvabhama Bhattacharya. I learned it all from Ramananda Roy. I learned it all from Sudhamadar. He always claimed he got it from his followers, from his disciples. And then whenever he'd show ecstatic symptoms, he was all... Even he, he would faint in ecstasy. I know this is an advanced topic, but then he'd come to consciousness and then they'd, uh, he'd said, did I sh what did I do? And they said, oh, you know, you fainted, you were crying. And he said, oh, it was only out of a sense of false ego, just out of pride that I had. That I'm, just, I'm just trying to show my spiritual advancement. It's not, actual, it's not real. And so he set the example to always stay uh, hungry and humble. And also... The uh, the Goswamis of Vrindavan, who were his dedicated disciples, never said, oh, I saw Krishna. They always were looking for Krishna, feeling separation from him. And they always re remained meek and humble. So much so that they were appreciated by everybody. Everyone, uh, they were approachable by everyone, by, as the translation goes, the gentle and the ruffians. And they were open and equal to all in the way they gave out mercy. So we can get all this by chanting Hare Krishna. And also, I recommend if we practice uh, patience and also giving respect to others, then uh, these are uh, basic tenets that uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given and will be successful. So now we'll try chanting, uh, yes? Well, that's good. Radha Kripa, please go ahead. Hare Krishna Maharaj, Dhanvat Pranam. Maharaj, I really like the point which you mentioned in the last that uh, always uh, meet your teacher or spiritual teacher next time and come prepared with a better version of yourself. I think this is this is very inspiring because uh, always uh, during the course of time, you know, sometimes uh, we are just stagnant, you know, you know, just stuck with something where we are. So I think uh, I'll take this mantra, you know, try to work on that one to become better version. At least think about it so that at least I will make some tiny progress. Thank you, Maharaj. Yeah, well, it's very practical also. All of you are very progressive and have done amazing things in your lives. You probably have noticed that without a scrum, you don't move a project forward. Have you ever noticed that? Unless you have at least a monthly, that's a long period of time to wait, but it's, it's got to be at least weekly to keep the momentum going. So in bhakti yoga, it's daily because the stakes are so high. You have to have a little personal scrum with your bead bag and make sure that you stay current. But everyone has to have some kind of check-in point with somebody. We have to have guidance and we have to have somebody that we're checking in with who can look at us and say, are you getting better or worse? Because sometimes we don't even know ourselves. That's the trick of Maya also. I mentioned this the other day about the fade. Generally, people don't just all of a sudden drop their practice, but they fade away just one little bit at a time. And it's like they're circumambulating the temple and then the block and then the city and then 
somewhere in the universe. <laughs> so beware of the fade and do the opposite of the fade, which is do incremental, uh, in, make incremental increases in service. <laughs>